1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Paid less, worked harder, got kicked in the face disgusting
1: what three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island this is what i'm asking wrestling's best in the ring around the ring behind the scenes or behind a microphone i'm tom campbell thank you for joining me on cultaholic island for another episode of desert island graps
2: he's gonna need literally everything he has against the godfather of canadian wrestling
0: it's that new attitude of Tyson Dukes.
1: Everybody, have you heard? If you're in the game, then the stroke's the word. Tyson Dukes, how are you doing?
2: Good, man, Tom, how are you?
1: I am doing all well. From your videos online, the training videos you've been doing, I'm yet to see a video that tells me how to effectively prepare for a 30-man, three-hour blindfold battle royal. Mm. I'm hoping that's coming. I'm hoping that's coming, Tyson.
2: You know what? Here's the deal. It's like you're reading my mind, which is great, because we're doing, uh, right now, uh, me and my wife have uh, said that we're branching out on my YouTube page, of course, trying to build something and try to make a lot of wrestling content. And we're going to come up with some kind of thing like coffee and uh, uh, Dukes and coffee and talk wrestling or something along those lines where I, I'm just going to tell old stories uh, just like that. And just uh, like I want to bring up that three hour uh, battle royal. We're in a cage. It's in a cage. Battle Royal uh, blindfolded, and there was a bunch of us, and it lasted over three hours. It was madness.
1: Uh, I know this will be a story you'll tell on your channel, but can you give us a little flavor of, of, of how this came to pass?
2: Yeah, you know what, it was uh, an artist. There was a, a guy that was an artist that read a book, and the book had the same premise where they would have uh, black slaves uh, entertain uh, white people, Uh, White slave owners uh, entertained them by blindfolding them and putting them in a cage and having them beat each other to death, basically. And he was uh, uh, a colored man that was like, he was a great dude. And he just, uh, this was his deal. He's like, I'm going to uh, put this on as a presentation for Art Week in Toronto, Ontario. So Toronto, downtown, biggest hub of Ontario. Uh, there's There's all these things. And we started at midnight. This show—it was a midnight uh, show—and well, all it was was just that one event, that one spectacle, one spectacle. That's what we did.
1: With that, with that all going on, I mean, how did you come to get involved in that in the first place?
2: Well, uh, just being uh, on Ontario a mainstay with uh, how things are in wrestling, uh, they they needed needed many bodies they needed a lot of guys out doing this and so they were just pulling all the talent they possibly could so that's how i got on that's how i got the job basically it's just my being known for who i am right that was it
1: because i know that um the the, another person that was in that match with you we've, we've had on this show before which was cody dina and uh it's it's just an interesting i'm proud to say that we've now had two people from that match on did your other senses heighten when when but, you were blindfolded no no they
2: didn't That's oh. the worst part. no it was awful it was awful it was an awful situation I, like in my one of my best buddies in the world they gave me a super kick which i don't understand because people are just throwing stuff throwing stuff and it just smashed my face so bad i was opened up underneath my mask it was opened up and the, that that didn't hurt as much as the conversation with cody on the way home because we drove together we got there We didn't, I didn't get home till like five in the morning, six in the morning. Like that's the kind of event. And I got paid well, I got paid handsomely well, but I had no idea how much work it was going to be. And I found out that Cody got paid more and made me extremely angry. The fact that... Cody had made so much more money than me. That's the only thing that stuck. And that's the only thing that we stick with in this whole thing is we tease each other all the time. He's like, you remember that stupid battle royale? He says, yeah, you remember I made way more money than you? I'm like, oh, that's salt in the wounds, brother. That's salt in the wounds. But a great story.
1: Absolutely it is. And one of many that I look forward to hearing on your channel very soon. Um, You could maybe tell the story about the time that you were sent to a metaphorical desert island and uh, which is what we're doing here today Tyson. and whilst you're on that island you're going to have a dvd or a blu-ray uh, with three wrestling matches uh, that you choose that you can watch whilst you're there and uh, they can be matches of uh, that means something special to you they don't need to be five-star classics they could be just something that has uh, some sentimental value to you maybe what would you like your first match to be tyson
2: First match is always the match that I go when uh, I did have a school up and running, or if anybody comes to me looking for advice about professional wrestling, it is the go-to for me. It is Rick Rude versus Ricky Steamboat Bash at the Beach. Uh, Their 30-minute Iron Man match. It is an absolute gem. Like, and it does not get the attention that that match should deserve. It's an absolute brilliant piece of work. Just storytelling at its finest. It's gonna start right here. 30 minutes on the clock. And the meter should be running. Oh, he got him, that gut buster right across the knee. Got him in the ribs in the early going here. Steamboat with a great move, caught Rude with the ribs. And Rude may have suffered a broken or cracked ribs there, Jess. I'll tell you what, it's a good thing that Rude's in the condition he's in. But Ravishing Rick Rude obviously, obviously hurt by that early attack by the Dragon Ricky Steamboat. But you know what I, what I found disgusting about that whole thing, Ross? What? Steamboat kept his kid in the ring so that Root couldn't do nothing. And the minute the kid
0: got out, Steamboat attacks him. What kind of sportsmanship is that? That's a ridiculous analogy what kind of sportsmanship it is. Don't you tell me that. We
2: just watched it. Everything they do in that match is simple. Uh, simple, Like, all their, their move-wise, they're not. it's not about moves. It's about actual wrestling. It's a wrestling match. Uh, it's aggressive. All their strikes are solid. Their pins, they're going for real pins. Uh, there's real desperation at the end for pins. But the story is 30 minutes long. And the psychology involved in that, that last and that end game story is absolutely phenomenal because it's actually a segue from the start to the finish because Rick Root uh, drops uh, a top rope knee drop and wins with the pinfall on it, which gets him uh, like he gets a pinfall and wins on it. But he also takes the takes a loss because uh, NWA rules no top rope anything right because it's too dangerous and so ricky steamboat battles back from that injury from that maneuver and loses a couple falls but in the end it's because rick rude used uh that and uh lost that fall that's what was his demise so basically it evened them out even when uh rude loses that match it's even it makes them both look like ginormous stars that are unbeaten so you can have a like would have ricky have won had um rick rude not gone off the top but on the other hand would uh would rude have won or would have ricky have won uh in that choice like it was all about one stupid choice or was it a brilliant move but it just didn't it backfired it's absolutely brilliant it's a like it's a movie in 30 minutes it's unreal
1: where were you when you watched that for the very first time?
2: Uh, that one would be a YouTube one. So like that one was later on in my career. I, I stumbled upon it. Uh, I, I've always watched their stuff. Sting and Rick Rude is so good. Uh, anything with Rick Rude and Ultimate Warrior carrying him has always been good. Ricky Steamboat, Rick Flair, you know this. You know that those are brilliant matches and they should be on everybody's list. But there's just something about like stumbling upon something that you would think would be good but you wouldn't think would be insanely good uh, just on a different level of good so yeah
1: it was uh, you stumbled across wrestling uh, at a very young age am i right in thinking it was a coloring book that introduced you to the world of wrestling
2: it is i'm i'm from uh, new brunswick uh canada so uh, if you look on a map i'm right on the end i'm close to the atlantic ocean and it's a small province. There's not even a million people. When I was a kid, it was it's tiny. It's a big province, but there's very few people. And it's it's fishing, it's a forest, it's like trucking. Those are the industries, right? It's blue blue collar work people. And uh, I never I never had a TV. Like I tell people, and they think it's weird, but I I didn't have a TV like cable TV until I was 12 years old. So we had two stations growing up. And if I wanted to go and see more uh, TV, I'd have to go down the road to my cousin's place to watch TV because cable didn't come as far as I was. So I was stuck with two channels, one of them being fuzzy. And uh, I just remember um, my mom used to bring me home a treat every once in a while. And she used to go for groceries once a month in town, was 30 minutes away, which is a big deal to go into town. And she went and got me this simple life, man. I love the simplicity of my life in my earlier days. I wish my kids could actually enjoy simplicity, right? But Mm -hmm. anyways, it's uh, like it's beautiful. Like I, I wish I could go back in time, not for anything, but just the the simple. You know what I mean? No digital, no phones, no just for a day.
1: Do you day. do stuff like that with your kids, maybe, where, where you have like time where there's no screen time and you have family occasions? Do you stuff that sort of encourages that kind of behavior?
2: Well, my 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 older two have been their mother, like my ex-wife, my they're very screen heavy, right? They're screen heavy, and I've, I've I'm making it a focus. Me and my wife are making it a focus that the boys are always outside, and we're we're trying. Even myself, I I limit my screen time. That it was consuming me in my life. Um, and it was so distracting. So I kind of got away from that. I kind of pushed it to the side. And I just like I'm missing life by sitting here looking at a phone all the time. So um, that being said, like uh, just the simplicity of my mom just going in and uh, for a treat, like a little something for me, it was. 65 cents 85 cents One, a couple of my friends had picked me up the actual coloring book for christmas one year and uh found it on amazon so it's the rockin wrestling coloring book so it's that old cartoon wwf put out of hulk hogan and iron chic and it's if you look through it now if you scan through it these larger than life characters and i'm like i need this in my life this is I need to, I need to know what this wrestling thing is. Why are they in a boxing ring? What are they doing? These giant human beings. And so that's how I found. Them. That's uh, when, that's how my wrestling journey started. It was my mom. When father. you're
1: going through that coloring book and you've got Hulk Hogan, like the animated Hulk Hogan on the front of it, and you're flicking through there, are there any characters when you put yourself back in the in the, in the mind of young Tyson? Uh, is there any characters that are jumping out to you?
2: Uh, yes, very much so. Of course, Hulk Hogan because he's front and center, right? But then Mm -hmm. there was the two other ones that uh, immediately grabbed my attention is Hillbilly Jim, because I'm from a farm community. And I'm like, a farm guy can be a tough guy. He can be he can beat people up. This is like this is my world. This is like Hillbilly Jim is my man. Right. And uh, uh, Roddy Piper, because we come from a, a very heavy Irish and Scottish background in, in the New Brunswick community. It's all, we have Irish festivals. We have, we have a lot of Scots. We have a lot of that stuff going on. So I'm like, these people I could relate to because they related to my, my origins and who I am. So yeah, without a doubt, Roddy Piper and Hillbilly Jim were the first two outside of that giant tanned golden man that stood out in front of me and it, it just, that made it. Because if I only had Hulk Hogan, that would have been okay because I already had He-Man. He-Man was Hulk Hogan, right? So I could have just went back to that, but it was those other characters, the side characters that really pulled me in.
1: Watching wrestling for the first time, would it have been on one of the two channels you had or would it have been over at your friend's house?
2: It was at, it was home, it was home on a Saturday and it was called Grand Prix Wrestling, which is a territory out in the Atlantic provinces. Uh, run by uh, Emile Dupree, which is the father of Rene Dupree. And so it had guys like uh, Kurgan, Kurgan, the Acadian giant, he was called. That's uh, Acadians or Acadian French, right? And uh, Bulldog uh, Bob Brown, which you probably heard about in Chris Jericho's book, talking about Bob Brown. Um, and he was just a mean son of a gun and like uh, Cuban assassin. These are old, old legendary names. And I that's where I first started watching it. It was... Something. It was there, something
1: did you did you at a young age feel like there was like a, a, a juxtaposition between sort of the, the rock and wrestling book that you're looking at with hulk hogan and all that and 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 the, the the sort of independent scene in canada or was it just because it was just wrestling and you were just involved
2: uh it was wrestling basically it was wrestling um once i got to see wwf for the first time i it totally changed my perspective because uh, Grand Prix wrestling, low budget, no budget, no anything. Just uh, a dark, dirty-looking arenas and just big, husky, boring kind of dudes. You know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of guys that would do a lot, and they weren't physical specimens, right? Every once in a while, you'd see someone like Bad News Brown before he went to WWF, um, and you were like, "Who? That dude is that dude's monumental." But then once you got into WWF and seeing these massive, like Andre the Giant, the first time I saw Andre the Giant is, um, that's one of those things I talk about, like wrestling, you can have the greatest matches of all time, like uh, Ricky Steamboat and Macho Man, and those will always stand out, but there's something about not the moves, but the actual story and an emotional connection. So my emotional connection would be watching WWF very early on in my uh, uh, younger days, and having Andre the Giant uh, strangle Hacksaw Jim Duggan with his singlet strap on Saturday night's main event and all these people piling in uh, to try to stop him and nobody could get him off. Nobody could get the monster off of him. And that still is burned in my brain as one of the the highlights, the, the epiphany of professional wrestling was that moment there. Because I remember being upset as a young kid at this whole strangling and nobody could get this giant off them. And it was just it's absolutely magic. It's magic right there. That's magic.
1: And what's amazing is and and this is the great thing about when you when you look back on wrestling like that is that I can tell as you're talking about it, like your eyes are lighting up and you're becoming more animated. And it does that to you when you're that passionate about it. What was the moment, though? Can you recall the moment where it's one thing to watch it? It's another one to go "I want to do that. That's my job. That's the thing. Was there a moment that you saw in the wrestling and you went, yeah, that's that's what I want to do for a living?
2: Uh, It was uh, it was Chris Benoit. It was uh, watching Chris Benoit for the first time and uh, reading the stats of Chris being only five foot eight. I'm only five foot eight. Uh, He has this stocky, stocky build with short arms. And I was a farm kid. I was stocky in nature. Like there's old pictures of me. Uh, before I got into wrestling, where I was a thick farm kid that ate a lot and just lifted hay bales all day. And then there's after wrestling, which I lost so much weight from not being able to eat, just training. right? Um, but Chris Benoit was like my guy because he was he was Canadian. He was um trained at the dungeon he was uh short but yet nothing could stop him and he was vicious and aggressive and uh like had such a like a great style of like his intensity was on another level and i thought you know what i that's me that that can be me i can be uh somebody i can be that guy that's my guy and I, I just watched anything in WCW, the Four Horsemen, where it was Chris Benoit coming to the ring. Just watching him coming to the ring with woman was my my thing. And I just that's that's who I wanted to be. Like I le- legitimately thought, like I love the the pageantry of pro wrestling, but I love I love the competitiveness of it. I love actual wrestling. And I thought that dude is a real. That's a real dude. That dude would hurt you and i want to be that guy i want to be i want to be legit like that guy that was my guy
1: absolutely there's um there's a there's a real special energy around the wrestling scene in canada around anywhere else in on the on the planet it's made some of the the biggest wrestling stars who is it that you turn to, to 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 begin your journey to join that lineup
2: All I wanted, all I wanted in life is to be, uh, to be around the hearts. Like Bret Hart has like, uh, like during the Canada U.S. thing, it was all, it wasn't about being Canada. It was about Bret Hart. Bret Hart has always been my, like one of those guys that like growing up, it went from transition to Hogan. And I, when Bret came in, I loved Bret more than Hogan. Like, and it it just, I seemed to grow up with it in a way that it coasted in, uh, in, in the direction of how I was growing up. Which is quite weird because as a kid, you see the pageantry and you see Hulk Hogan shaking and, and getting intense and stuff and doing crazy thumb punches and stuff like that. And then you just run into this legitimate guy like Brett who wore bubblegum pink uh, and just looked flashy and wore leather jackets and was such a badass. And from there, it was the aggression of. Benoit so it matched me every step of the way from teenage years to uh uh, testosterone filled uh 15 16 year old coming of age of man being Benoit I just had a staircase it was such a a easy flow for me to get to the point where I wanted to be this this guy right and so I wanted to be trained by the hearts so um I was going to go to the dungeon. I was all, I was going to go to stampede. I was going to go all the way out to Alberta and that's all the way out West. And my, it crushed my parents because they had dreams of me to stay home and work the farm and just be a part of the family, like build a house up on the hill and stuff. And I'm like, I was not having it. And I just decided that one day I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm going to be a professional wrestler and I'm moving. And so they kind of convinced or their, the internet was a new thing. So we were looking online and we found the Hart Brothers School of Wrestling in Ontario, Cambridge, Ontario. And so I thought, it's Hart. So I messaged the guy and I called and I I made the call. And he says he was a bit of a shyster, that guy. Because Smith Hart, the oldest Hart, had started the school but then had left. But this guy kept it going and saying, oh, yeah, Hart's are in all the time. We just saw, we saw Owen the other day. Owen was in here. And uh, <laughs> Chris Benoit was going to come in next week and you should get here before Benoit gets here. And so I did, I did. I, I gave them, I gave them at the time and this is in, uh, 97. I gave them, uh, $3,500, which is way more money than I had. I had nothing, but I lived there and I just did chores like a young boy, like a real young boy and started my journey. Like just, I just didn't eat. I didn't plan anything out. I didn't have a job because I had to work for them cleaning and stuff like that. And just, started myself for basically eight months to become a professional wrestler it was uh well i, I wouldn't take it back i wouldn't take it back mm-hmm. i wouldn't go to. i wouldn't go to stampede i wouldn't go to the dungeon i would continue where i went because it made me more it made me really appreciate uh the life that i have in pro wrestling a lot more and the pride it takes because uh half these kids out here nowadays i'm not saying all of them but they know themselves. A lot of these kids wouldn't be able to do what I did because they get real sensitive over little things and would quit at the drop of a hat or find another school. There was no other school. And I was there for the long haul. Uh,
1: go back to telling your parents about uh, you're not going to be a farm boy. You're not going to live on top of the hill. Uh, you're going to go and train to be a wrestler. Can you, and you say they were disappointed. But can you remember what they said to you when you made that announcement to them?
2: Well, my parents have always been. Uh, that's one thing that I've been very fortunate. My parents were just loving, supportive human beings. You could see it in their eyes that they they didn't want me to do this. You could see it, and they're like, "Oh Lord." The first time I said like they, my mother's head was down, and you could just tell the way she held her hands that she wasn't she was not comfortable, but she wouldn't say it. She wouldn't say it. My father would tease me a little bit. You're going to do that fake stuff. You're going to put ketchup on your forehead and do all this stuff. I'm like yeah, dad, I want to, I, this is what I want to do. And without fail, like this is, this is, this is parents, this is my parents. And this is, I've been very fortunate in life to have the, the people that I have. My dad, uh, on my, on my birthday. So I just graduated from high school. It's 96. I graduated from high school. My dad for my, uh, for graduating and stuff like that, uh, bought tickets. Um, he bought tickets for me to come to, uh, Uh, Pennsylvania. So we went to the States and he bought tickets for me to go see Killer Kowalski in Massachusetts at his school first, just to meet him. And then we went all the way down to uh, Pennsylvania to watch a WCW event where Chris Benoit was wrestling Regal because my dad had no interest in wrestling and he hated wrestling, but he loved me and he knew that I liked Benoit and he bought tickets and that was my graduation present is like he took Suck me down home. yeah dude and it like it, it was it's basically his fault it's my mom's fault for the coloring book <laughs> but it's my father's fault for actually taking me to not a great like i went to a couple grand prix i went to a couple wwf ones as a kid but my father at 17 years old took me happy graduation tie let's go down let's buy you a four horseman shirt let's go down and see And I watched Regal and uh, Benoit tear that shit up for 20 minutes. And if if I was not convinced or if I was too scared to go before watching them, I was no more. Like this is rock solid. This is what I'm doing.
1: I've got the card from that night in front of me and obviously you had regal benoit second match in uh you had jericho before then mm-hmm. uh in for the turn defending the cruiserweight title you had rick flair in the main event you had the nwr yeah. cdp uh the, the man soon to be known as the big shout and lex luger it's a massive night but for uh, d malenko eddie guerrero just slyly in the middle there like just put it on a 16 minute blinder but with um, w- The moment you saw Chris Benoit, it was a guy that you said, this guy's like me, like this guy has inspired me to be a wrestler. That must've been an amazing feeling to see him in the same room as you.
2: Unreal. Unreal. Just to, just to see him. And we were on the, we were on the floor, but we were in mid, you know, the mid range kind of area, not in front, but not in the back, just enough to he's, he's almost intangible where he's almost untouchable, but yet still close enough that I can make this happen. And it was, it's a surreal moment because Regal is one of those, always performed at a high octane level with Benoit and it was gritty and it was nasty and people were quiet and I was quiet. My dad was laughing, just smiling at me because I was like hands on my chin, on my knee, elbows on my knees and hyper focused on everything those two men did. And like, I love, I love technical wrestling. I love wrestling. I like, I like the idea of like, uh i don't like i am not a i'm like a huge fan of the the jumping and the high fly and top rope stuff i'm a huge fan of everything in in the middle right and it was just brother it's it would blow like that's a, that was a show let me tell you those guys never stopped it was such a good show
1: amazing with the to go back to the dungeon um And you said like you were there living there and you were working there full time. And and as you said, quite a few people nowadays may take an experience like that and because of the wealth of options and because of sort of a change in mindset, they would, they probably wouldn't stick it out. Um, Was there ever a moment where you thought, I don't know whether this is for me?
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, uh, uh, in my tenure there of eight months, I saw hundreds, hundreds of boys and hundreds of men into there there's no women no women would come in there but like there was hundreds and i mean hundreds they would drop money last two days and leave and never come back and never look for their money back it was told no refunds and they never got a dime back and that's that was their school motto they didn't want to fill that school up they didn't want they only wanted so many there that could take it but what they wanted to do is beat the hell out of you so that you would leave and not come back and they keep your money and keep rolling and there was uh, it was it, like you said, like there was times cause we, I stayed in a bunk bed. My, my buddy was from Australia. We became really close. We became really bonded. We're best friends through pain and anguish, basically war buddies. And it was just one of those things that one day I would be low and the next day he would be low, but we had each other. And we've always been super close friends. Um, Dingo Cannon from, he works out of Japan now. Great guy. Um, so, yeah, there was days where there, where we would be so banged up. And I mean banged up, where they would do stuff like um, like punching in the face drills. <laughs> where they would actually, like, if this. they would punch you in the face. Like, being, the guy would punch you in the face and say, that's how you sell it. Like, and then guys would do fake punches. And no, no, like this. And he'd, like, clock you in the face. And your jaw would be tight and sore. And you couldn't drink water or anything like that. And it was just, it was... It was so, it was so backwards, but yet so, so beautiful in a way that like there'd be days where you'd be just holding on to the side of your face and like, I can't do this. This is, this is stupid. And I'm starving to death. I'm 140 pounds now from over 200 pounds to 140 pounds, starving to death, eating out of a garbage can, of the wasted food that he would have. And I would, but what this is that was the insanity that this is where I, that i'm i not going home i am not going to be a failure in front of my family i am not going to be a failure to me i'm not going to take this 3500 that was everything that i had in life and make him chuckle and say i got it i got his money and he's gone and then i was that my, i just got so stubborn no way there was no way
1: uh those days you'd be like I said, you you'd be starving, you'd be getting punched in the face, you'd be eating out of the bin, and you'd go to bed and you'd be low. And the phone rings and it's your and it's your parents. What what's that conversation like?
2: Oh, every time, every time we uh, there was a payphone outside. There's a payphone that we used outside, and why uh, like when they called and there's a tie. It's your parents. And it's like somebody for you. So it'd be my mom or dad. It'd be one of those big big breath. <sighs> okay, here we go. Hey, mom and dad. And be like, uh, how are everything? Oh, you know what? We're having, I'm having a blast. I'm just, we're, we're uh, doing really well here. Everything is going great. And uh, we're learning lots. I haven't seen any, I haven't seen Benoit or anybody yet, but I knew by that point that yeah, I had been shyster to bed. Right. But then it didn't matter to me. I just, you know, I, I'm going to wrestle in October. I, I started in August. I'm going to wrestle in October. It's you know, I'm, I'm really trying and stuff like that. It wasn't until I went home that my mom's stomach dropped. Um, because when I went home at Christmas time, I went home and she saw what the, what had happened because they had shaved my head like bald. Cause I have a massive scar on my head. So they wanted to do like, uh, make me look like a deranged karate guy. And then I had no eyebrows to shave my eyebrows. And it looked like I had, was on chemotherapy. I looked like I was a cancer victim, uh, more than, uh, like a fighter or a deranged lunatic. And I had, I had been washed out. So I had no color. Uh, I was malnourished so bad. i lost so much weight that when I went home, my mother, uh, it almost killed her. You could tell that it almost killed her. She had no idea, uh, the, at the rate that I was going
1: it's Did crazy. they try and stop you going back.
2: Uh, they tried, they tried to get me to train with people back home, but there was nobody there. Uh, and then I, for a while, I stayed home an extra month, uh, to eat and stuff after Christmas. And I just, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to get my bearings back and stuff like that. And they were, they were so so concerned and they're like, you, you can, you can come home, Ty, you don't have to worry about the money. You can just come home and everything will be fine. And then at the end of that month, uh, I had a couple guys call and say, Hey, come back, come back. Cause we're, you know, we're like, uh, hoping to get going and hopefully shows will get started in the spring and stuff. Like we're just, you know, you, you going to come back. And I, I said, yeah, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And then I did. I just did. And my, I know it was rough on them. I know it was really hard, but they, they just, they just knew that I was going to be unshakable. I was going to be unshakable in this and whether it took my life or not, I was going to do it. I was going to do it. I would murder myself for the, uh, the, yeah, the idea of being a pro wrestler. So,
1: what 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 are your thoughts when we talk about this and and you describe some of the things? Because there'd be so people listening to this now who would who would, uh, as we've said, just be almost horrified with the, some of the stuff that you went through. Saying it out loud now and talking about it, do you feel like there were points where it was too much?
2: It's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous, ludicrous, yeah. ludicrous, ludicrous. And I, I would never have my sons, my 18 year old is a wrestler. I would never, ever treat him like that. Or would I ever expect him to be in conditions of that nature? And I don't blame my parents because my parents knew my, my resolve. And they knew they they couldn't force me at that age of uh, almost 18. You're not going to, you're not going to, or 18 going on, you know, you're not going to do anything to an 18, 19 year old kid. You, they, if they're going to make up their mind, they're going to make up their minds uh, to be a certain way. And I was like, I was hell bent, hell bent. And they knew it. And so, but if you look back on it, even myself, is like, cause I don't have many conversations. I'm very much a, forward-focusing human being. I forward-focus all the time and I miss stuff a lot in life and I never really uh, reflect on other stuff. And my reflection is uh, I need to start because the reflection, once we start, I'm going to try to write a book and try to do this YouTube page. And we're trying to do a lot of things to actually monetize on uh, a lot of my life and give a little bit of story of how it used to be. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm still Uh, At the age of kayfabe, I'm still at the end of kayfabe where they they believe that these are secrets that nobody gets to learn unless they beat them into you and they can trust you with them. Um, It's not the age of like um, uh, theatrical performances. It's like legit. Right. So I'm 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 I'm, uh, it's uh, I would never change it. And that's the thing. I would never change it. But I would never, ever put anybody through it. And I would never put even people that I dislike through it well, for two reasons. For two reasons, I would never want anybody to get hurt that bad. But I also wouldn't want them to uh, find the beauty in it afterwards. I wouldn't want them to find the resolve that I have with wrestling afterwards. Because it's the, I'm 42, almost 43 years old. And this is my whole entire being. Uh, it's the only thing I've ever really been passionate about. It's the only thing I've ever loved. Uh, and it's the only thing that ever consumes my whole soul um, to a, to a level that I, I will never leave it. And even though, um, like if WWE doesn't call or AEW doesn't call or ROH or NWA, and like, you almost feel like you're defeated sometimes with wrestling, not having that giant contract. I just think that I'm just, this wrestling is me and I am wrestling. I don't need a company to tell me that I'm or a contract with figures to tell me that oh, who I am, this is who I am this is, this is what I've born and bred and bled and uh, become I have baptized myself in the, the art of professional wrestling
1: Talk to me about your last day at the dungeon
2: Oh geez, um, the last day at the dungeon was basically where uh, this Hart Brothers School of Wrestling, the, he had already taken $3,500 of my money Uh, he wouldn't let me work. I had to work there. I had to do stuff. I had to eat non Like I had to eat like when I stole like fruit from the grocery store and I've never been proud of that fact, but you had it like, there was no other alternatives. And so I would, I I never got to eat. I never got to be, you know what I mean? I just, it was, it was survival, basically survival. So the last, he hit me up because the guy that owned the place had a gambling addiction and so his gambling addiction had uh, had caused some uh, uh, debt, right? He had some debt coming his way, and so he had uh, mustered up an idea that, "Oh, you need insurance. We need insurance. So you're not insured through this school, and you need it, or you got to go home." And he knew he wasn't going to leave. So how do you punish somebody? If you can't beat the hell out of them, you can't get them to leave and you just threaten them. You threaten them now. Like you have to pay me financial restitution so I can continue my gambling debt, but I'm going to cover it up as insurance. So I had to go to my aunt who had money. I had to borrow money from her um, and say, hey, uh, I got half of my parents and half from her. So $700 that I could have used for food or whatever. And it turned into giving him money for his gambling. And then later on, he had, uh, had me, uh, get a job through one of his buddies in an optimist club. It's called an optimist club. It's kind of like one of those, you know what I mean? Those real hokey things. And he had, uh, had me working at a garage, uh, for a guy. And what it was is basically, it's almost becoming the line of you're becoming a cult because all my paychecks, that I worked for were going to him in the school, and so at that point, when I worked all week, I didn't eat. I ate very little. Uh, he he got pizza like every Saturday um, because he had a deal with Domino's, which he eventually ruined because he racked up um, thousands of dollars worth of debt in pizza. So he went to Domino's Pizza. He used to get his pizza every week. I would make that box of pizza that he gave me last the whole friggin' week. Uh, Try to eat eat a large pizza and just make it last a week to sustain you. Um, And then from there, um, yeah, this is so crazy. Yeah. Then my paychecks went straight to him. So I worked for two weeks, not a dime. Same thing. Just box of pizza once a week. Uh, I went home. I just, in the middle, middle of the night, me and another guy who was from out East as well was down, down on his luck and we just, could, we just could not. There was no way to sustain our lives anymore. So with my tail tucked between my legs, I went home. Now, went home for about six months. Uh, my parents were never so happy. I started working on the farm again uh, and building and building and building. And all I was doing was saving my money that I, uh, that I'd earned through them or a little side, uh, pro- like farm, uh, projects. So I worked for other farms, other people helping being a hand, chopping wood, all this stuff. Uh, and, and just, just to get back to Ontario where basically wrestling was the more, the more shows were in Ontario than any other province in Canada. And it's a big, big country, big countryside. So that's all I did. I came home and I went back to work. I grinded it out. And then I moved back up and I just I started my I started my independent career Then,
1: did they ever reach out to you?
2: Most definitely. Most definitely. They they said that I had left and that uh, uh, they were concerned about me and they wanted me to come back. And they had big plans and stuff like that. And I just after after they ignored the messages for a week. And I mean, consistent everyday week of calling me and saying, you know, Tyson should come back. I hope he's all right, but we got big plans for him and stuff like that. I, I just ignored it. and then and then they fil- they finally decided to leave me alone. But yeah, they were after me because it was basically a cult. I escaped. That yeah, was Jeez. crazy. I uh, in madness, bro, madness. Absolute madness. This is when chapter two.
1: When you when you went on the indie, indie Circuit, did you share these stories with other people? Did other people have similar no.
2: No, not not to the extent that I did because I lived there. I lived there, and I was the only one that came back because the other guy from out east uh, went into uh, filmography and stuff like that. He was uh, he he didn't he didn't pursue professional. It ruined him. It ruined him from professional wrestling. Um, and I, I, all my my intent was always to go back and to be a professional wrestler. So I went back.
1: We'll talk more. We'll get to as you say, chapter two. Uh, in just a moment, we've got your, your second match for your DVD, sir.
2: Second one is uh, the tag team classic, and it's probably uh, if anybody's into tag team wrestling, they should definitely seek this one out. It is Kobashi and Kichiki against uh, uh, Furnace and Lafon. So, Can Am Express against uh, Kobashi and Kichiki, it was, and it's a monumental tag team. It's in a gymnasium and the crowd is uh, electric. You can touch the screen, your monitor, whatever you're watching it on, and feel the energy pull through that screen even to this day.
1: four.
2: The most layered tag team event, and just beautifully done, and there's no holes in it. And it's when they say that there's a there's no such thing as perfect wrestling match. That right there is a perfect, perfect professional wrestling match in tag team wrestling. Beautifully done.
1: There's, there's not enough love, uh, at least from the sort of the mainstream wrestling world for Furnace and LaFon. They had a run in the WWF in the late 90s that, that barely touched the sides of what they're capable of. Uh, uh, but in, in Canada, they're legends, aren't they? These guys are legends. I think I can't understate that enough. Can you remember the first time you saw them?
2: That, now this, that's disgusting because even here, those boys don't get enough credit. They do not get enough credit. They do not get enough love uh, for the, their time working in, uh, in any company, especially all Japan. When they were, they were on a different level of like these dudes are foreigners that will mess you up. Um, and just a, such a great, unique style. One was jacked and a power and athletic and the other guy was mean. Like, Crawford Danny Crawford was a like when he wrestled he was mean and he was the heel of the group and then there's this handsome Doug Furness who was just super jacked and athletic and could do anything in the world they're just they're on another level like it, they would be multi-millionaires by today's standards uh, if they, they're just before their time they're just before their time and like I, I remember watching them uh, in WWF, as uh, what were they known as in the uh, Furnace and LaFon? I guess hmm. Can-Am Connection or they, whatever.
1: But- no, they, they didn't even get a name. They were just Doug Furnace and Phil LaFon. That's, that's, that's- right.
2: That's right. And then Crawford was all banged up, and like the had lost a lot of his uh, his natural athletic size, and he didn't look as good as he used to. Um, Furnace always looked like a million bucks, but they were a tag team, and they worked better as a tag than in singles. And it just it, it WWF style at the time did not suit those boys, but I remember them and seeing how impressive their stuff was. But I had no idea until I started watching their like YouTube became a thing. And once YouTube became a thing, if you're if you're not educated in this day and age with professional wrestling, if you don't know who people are, both uh, independently that are making a name for themselves or the old names in the, back in the day, then you're you're doing yourself such a disservice because there's so much great content out there. And their, their stuff in All Japan is uh, so good. And that match is by far the best. The They're on point that night, all four.
1: What you say about about that is so true is that I, I've said often that this is an amazing time to be a wrestling fan because not only do you have uh, new content constantly, but you have access to pretty much everything ever done uh, in just a few clicks away. And I think it's a really exciting time. Even if you're not a fan of what's happening now, Uh, in the mainstream one, you've got decades and decades of amazing stuff. And you stumble across stuff like you did with, uh, with finding out more about Ferdas and Lafarne and the work they did there. And Dan Crawford It is even in his later days, still a force of nature. Uh, Even so, is there a moment from this match, uh, uh, something that even now when you watch it back after you've watched it multiple times before, something that still sort of gives you the goosebumps, still gets a rise out of you.
2: That crowd right off the hop. So the, 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 the first spot would be uh, Kichiki and uh, Crawford in there. And it's just a duck. It's just uh, like Crawford being a dick. And then all of a sudden Kichiki gets on him and fires up and just nails him with forms. And then Crawford sells so perfect, like not oversell, not undersell. He just, legitimately these subtleties that are missing from wrestling because we're way over the top or we don't sell at all now it's like the Bret Hart subtleties of action is unbelievable so there's this moment at the beginning where he ducks underneath or he just starts firing back with some forearms and he drops Crawford in the corner and then the fans are losing their minds and this is a reserved Japanese crowd And they're losing it. And then all of a sudden, uh, he doesn't even bother with the ref. And he's like, as soon as Crawford drops in the corner and sitting down, he's still just on top of him, just raining down these forearms on top of him. And that crap, you can't get any higher. You You can't get any higher. And that is just the start of this thing. And if there was anything to show the pace that they kept, from the start to the end, they didn't, they didn't start slow. They, they right out of the bank. They said, this is, this is going to be a, this is going to be a legendary match. And it was a legendary match, like just from that moment. And then later on, there's a, there's a spot where uh, I think it's Crawford is got uh, uh Kobashi down and then he's pinning him and all of a sudden Kichiki comes off the top and diving headbutt on him. And the cell that Crawford or Furnace, I, I, like it's a little blurry because there's so much action in there. But the cell that he arches his back and he falls backwards, and again, they come on glued. It is just – just it's poetry. It's just – the story involved in that is, uh, is beyond compare. And if you watch that match and you don't, you don't get goosebumps then you, you don't belong in the, the realm of professional wrestling or you should check your pulse because you're about to die because that is that is something something on another level
1: your career would take you to japan you were doing stuff for pro wrestling zero one uh, and uh, among many other places in your incredible career but what was it because it's a very different discipline out there and, and and as you say like even you mentioned about how the crowd is uh, reacts normally reacts in a different way very much came alive for points in that one what were some of the lessons that you learned uh, working in japan that after your career working in canada and, and across the states what were some of the things that you learned about japanese style pretty quickly
2: Uh, You know what I learned really, really quickly, and this is a lesson for all the young kids that are listening to this, is like, if you, you will, you will be a mark, you will be a fan. Um, And to me, wrestling fans now know what they're getting into. So I hate the term mark. Because you're not a mark anymore. Uh, anymore that's, a, that's an old school term used on a carnival as a pigeon or a mark. That person, I can take their money. That's what a mark is. You don't take fans' money anymore. They know exactly what they're buying. They're not betting on a, on a, a wrestling event saying that Will Ospreay is going to beat Ricochet because he's got his knees are good and stuff like that. It's no longer a gambling fe- uh, event or it's not one thing that you would try to put your money and try to get in the ring with a hooker anymore. It's, it is not, no, there's, I hate the term mark They're like it's overused. It's overdone. And like, people don't understand you're the mark. If you're calling people a mark, you're the mark, because you don't understand the term anymore. Right? So uh, in this case, most wrestlers, uh, a new generation that is coming up that has not been taught by the older generation. They've been taught by people that have failed at the business that have started schools so that they could run in the business. That's stiff and brutal, but it's true. We've lost a lot in our business uh, with uh, ideology and how, how this business is done because of it. Um, but the, the term mark should be reserved for the wrestlers themselves. Because we are the marks now. We do way too much. We hurt each other way too much. We stiff the hell out of each other all the time. We give these people way too much that they don't even want. And they wouldn't know anyways. Because you're just out there to put on a great wrestling match. To just impress yourself, your opponent, and the promoter. The promoter is just there to make money. You should be there to not get damaged and- hurt and make money so that you can work the next day and the next day and make more money but yet we're stupid enough to go out there and like just crack our skulls open on ludicrous stunts that look like stunts and look like choreography and don't look like wrestling anymore people and this is this is the thing that i have and this is this is the ideal is people buy tickets to a wrestling event not to be entertained i know this sounds funny People buy wrestling tickets and go to wrestling show majority do to be deceived. They want to be lost in the story and the magic of what wrestling is. They want to leave saying, I don't know. Did he hurt that guy over there? When in fact, I don't hurt anybody in this business when I drop a knee on them, but I want those people to go away going, that guy broke that guy's arm, or at least it was really close and they want to be deceived and get lost in it. And that's what's missing. So the term mark is deserved. It, it's only deserved and it's only put on professional wrestlers now because we're the marks. Right. So um, that being said, going to Japan, that's my biggest thing is people go over there and then they start stiffen and they start working really tight and hard and thinking that they got to do a ton of spots and kick out of a whole bunch of crap and do 50 false finishes. That is not the Japanese style. That's not strong style. Strong style is basically selling. Selling and having passion and having fire to come back. That is strong style. Uh kicking out of a thousand things isn't Japanese wrestling because they don't like that stuff. They like salt, they believe in sell. And when the kick out, doesn't matter what the move is, as long as the intensity is behind the move. And then when the person kicks out, that's strong style. And they never like I've worked with Amori, I've worked with uh Masato Tanaka, who's one of my favorites. I've worked a long range of dudes and all those dudes that were legendary, I've worked with Otani, I've worked with Kichikeyi, I've worked with a ton of dudes. And every one of them have been light as a feather with me. Every single one of them have never ever stiffed me. And then when I first went, like a mark, I thought I was going to have to be this gassed up, jacked up version of myself and just pound the crap out of people. And then at the end of the day, those dudes are like, Tyson, please. Uh, easy today. Easy. Nice. Nice crowd. Nice. Easy. Easy. Mike. Oh, and then it only took me the second time to understand my second match that uh, I had been a complete mark. And I've been a complete I've been completely duped. And the Japanese people had duped me and they had worked me. That's pro wrestling, man. They're pro wrestlers. Um Back then, back then in the early 2000s, 2010s, they, that's pro wrestling. When they have people like me who are educated in the business, thinking that I have to go out there and beat the shit out of them. And which was not the, like Amori is one of the lightest human beings ever. And he's a colossal giant. I worked with, uh, um, oh man, who did I work with? Yoshi. Yoshe is one of the big sumo guy with the singlet, the pink singlet. One of my favorite matches of all time. It's just big guy, little guy, and a tremendous guy to work with. All his falses were like big splash or avalanche in the corner, and he and not once did he hurt me. Not once. It it was heavy. Everything's heavy, but I'm a I'm a man. I'm tough. I can take stuff. But no 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 deliberate injuries. No knees. No elbows to the face. None of that stuff. Just it, it's just it. That's that's the climate though. That's the climate. A lot of kids watch it now, and they see. Kabashi and uh kawada go at it and think that they're killing each other which they probably were but like they don't see them on the road doing the same event and not touching each other you know so it's just it's just funny how how perception perception can be so altered in so many ways when you think you know better but but my first tour of japan i was humbled i was humbled by it you listed
1: some uh, some names there that, that really stand out. And uh, I, I jumped on your Twitter yesterday and you recently you shared a picture from Ring of Honor and it was you and Tommaso Ciampa and it was post-match. And we, we could we could sit and go through every match you ever had, but Tyson, we're going to be here for days if we do that. So I, I want to ask you, if, there, if you look back upon the amazing uh, legacy that you've had at this point, are there matches that you look back on and you didn't truly appreciate the significance of at the time? But you certainly do now.
2: Most definitely, most definitely. Like um, that Tommaso Ciampa match is uh, is on the list of like something where Tommaso was trying to make me, and he was trying to give me a jo- get me a job with ROH. And I saw that in the like, I, I make fun of him because he headbutt me in the head so hard. But all he was doing, all he was doing, was trying to bring the intensity to that game, and it was a great match. And it was just him trying to do. He was trying to do me the solid. But at the time, like, God damn, man, just do you have to headbutt a man in the face? You know what I mean? Like, you kind of get a little whiny at times because you're just in there. You know, it's a work, you know, you're trying to work together and all this stuff. But like, sometimes, and Tomaso's great with that. Tomaso knows when it's time to gear it up. And he's always been brilliant at that. Um, another one would be I had the, I thought I was going to be signed with uh, ROH a few times. The one time that really stood out is the Tyler Black match, Seth Rollins match, where Nigel couldn't work, and it was just me. And I know they loved that match. They just wanted me to go out there and wrestle the way I wanted to wrestle, put no emphasis on high spots or anything. And that was probably one of my favorite matches from ROH, because you get a real, true Uh, Look at who I am Code of honor
0: is followed before referee Paul Turner
2: calls for the opening bell as we are back from intermission The matchup that was supposed to be between Tyler Black and the former ROH world champion Nigel McGuinness had to be changed the last minute due to Nigel suffering the stinger last night at the hands of Jerry Lynn. It's always good to show up to wrestling events even if you aren't scheduled, as is the case with Tyson Dukes getting an opportunity here in Ring of Honor tonight. Step it up to the plate, man. A oh, man making a name for himself in the independent scene here in Toronto gets the opportunity of a lifetime against Tyler Black here. Death Before Dishonor weekend. You never know what can happen. Yeah, we already saw an upset as uh, the Super Smash Brothers defeated Steen and Generico in tag team action. Think about what it would mean for future bookings and opportunities after tonight for Tyson Dukes if he can defeat the man that everyone says has the potential to become a world champion himself in Tyler Black. Tyler Black came into this weekend obviously preparing to wrestle a man he'd been in the ring with many times in the past in Nigel McGuinness instead sees himself staring across the ring and against, well, relative uh, unknown to him, I would think. Tyson Dukes has uh, built a reputation uh, on the independent scene and definitely is known to the fans here in the building tonight. But uh, in terms of Ring of Honor, he doesn't have ROH experience under his belt, and he certainly would like to burst onto the scene in ROH and uh, work his way up the ranks. We seem to um, fall in line with wanting to do what everybody else does and like i gotta be able to do stuff that i don't regularly do i gotta do it because everybody else is doing it like you watch a lot of the kids they want to go and uh, perform for aew and then they try to do a whole bunch of stuff i'm like everybody's doing a whole bunch of stuff guys maybe maybe do something different maybe be a little bit more different don't maybe not wear the costume or the makeup or go in there trying to be goofy they have lots of funny characters let's do something that's a little Uh, that stands out and is a little bit more unique. And that Tyler Black match is one of those unique moments where all I'm doing is me, like backbreakers and like um, a hard clothesline and uh, a DVD, a Spike DVD, like stuff that is intense and gritty and has impact, but it's all about uh, a real focus, a real wrestle kind of vibe, Uh, more, more legitimate, I like competitive and legitimate and less nonsense Eddie Edwards I had one with him and I put I he put me over it was in the gauntlet match where I worked Divari right after and sold the whole time uh and, and same and same thing a lot of a lot of going back to ROH because ROH was a brotherhood of boys that wanted to work we're the the workhorse of boys and I've always been a workhorse and I like every one of my all my stuff with ROH was on. Let's, let's, let's get this boy a job. So all those boys were all about, all about that stuff, right? Let's get this, uh, let's get this boy a job. Cause he's a, he's a workhorse like us. Um, I never felt that way with impact. Impact was never my, it was never my deal. Um, and it's just a wrong, wrong place wrong time. Nothing against the company, nothing against the people that I worked with. I worked with a bunch of talented dudes, it's just, it was just not wrong place, wrong time, wrong Tyson, like injury prone Tyson, and then a big gassed up Tyson trying to prove something. It was never ever on, a, on the way, on the same path. And I guess the other match would be have to be me against uh, Chavo and Matt Hardy in WWE for Velocity, because both those boys wanted me to have a job so bad and were like were rooting for me and gave me way too much. Like they don't have to give enhancement, anything. You don't have to give enhancement, anything. And they went out of their way to shine me up and make me look as good as possible. And I knew that at the time, but had no idea of how much they actually cared about my performance and making sure that this kid had a job. And I am always going to be grateful to a Matt Hardy and a Chavo Guerrero junior as being, uh, two of my favorite people in the industry and so selfless for that reason. Oh, side rushing, leg sweep there by Tyson Dukes, and off the road. He goes, is this kid a Russian? Oh. Uh, well, I don't know. Every time Tyson Dukes has velocity, he's from a different town.
0: Really? Yeah. That's because they cover, uh, too. Ah. Well, probably every city goes and they see him dance, they kick his ass out. That could be a good reason. I mean, today we heard he's from uh, Hartford, Connecticut. I don't
2: think he's from Hartford. I, I, if I was him, I wouldn't be proud of that. Who the hell wants to be from that success pool? I like it, there. <laughs> no, you don't. No, I really don't. Right. cross body by Tyson Dukes.
0: Matt Hardy's in trouble. Big upset. No, out. big upset. I'm telling you, Matt Hart, It's come on. This is what's all about the stance of your attitude here. Version 1. Ah! A kid with the... Uh, look at this guy. He's got Seinfeld.
2: <laughs> Tyson Dukes is trying to build some momentum, but I think Tyson oh, Dukes' luck has just oh. ran out. Wow! Tyson to the right. This kid's toast. Twist the fate from the second row. Matt Hardy picks up the victory. You
1: said recently in an interview that you you never have the same match twice, which is probably why WWE hasn't hired you. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you do you still think that is the case?
2: Yeah. I, I never, I never have the same match twice. Uh, I also, I, cause I'm always going to be, I always give, I want to be unique. I never want to give these fans. I never watch uh, matches and then copy paste, uh, spots and stuff like that. I don't believe in that. I believe in it's my own body of work. I'm an independent. It is my body of work. It is what I do. Right. It's me. It's, it's, a, it's an outlet of mine. So I do, I never copy paste. I never copy paste moves the moves I've come across have come across organically and are mine. Right. And even though they're shared amongst hundreds of others, they're just, they're my, it's my stuff. It's my stuff. It's who I am. Um, and then I've always changed up my gear and the gear, uh, that's, that's been my da- downfall. Uh, my change of looks from tights, trunks, shorts, boots, kick pads, hair, Mohawk, no hair, beard, no beard. Um, That that is my that right there is my uh, displeasure with where I'm at in my career, trying to search uh, for someone to say uh, he's good. Let's hire him. Uh, It's me grasping at straws of trying to get hired for many, many years, even like and I can tell you this. And I'll give you an example of a guy that's doing it now and he probably wouldn't even tell you that he's doing it, or he couldn't—he wouldn't understand it himself, but it's just a sage thing of being older, is uh, Sean Spears. Sean Spears has changed his look inside AEW at least seven times now. Hair, look, trunks, pants, big vest, no vests, different attitude, glove, no glove. Um, it's basically him searching because he's a brilliant, brilliant performer, a great worker, a great wrestler, great look but something isn't clicking and it's it, it, what you got to realize. And what I've realized over this COVID thing, it isn't you, it's just the climate and just the timing. It, it, and uh, you just got to steady the course. So when I come back to wrestling, my hair, they will be, it'll be like this. When I come back to wrestling, I have my tattoos. When I come back to wrestling, it's just a pair of trunks with my TD moniker on the side and a pair of black boots. That is all. And that's how I will finish out. That's how I started my career with black trunks and white boots and where I got to, at the pinnacle of where I'm at. And then I'm going to end my career in a pair of black boots and a, a pair of friggin' black or blue tights, trunks. That's it. I'm just will hold fast to it. That's I'm never I'm never going to change. And I, everybody teases me like they're going to say, oh, you'll sell that in a day, and you'll go on to something else. Cause that's a, it's a joke with me is that I changed my uh, look and stuff uh, immensely. But from this point forward, uh, this point forward, Tom, I can tell you that uh, what you see is what you get and, and that's it. So people will know at the end of my days that this was me, this, this last stretch, this last run of what I got.
1: you were over in uh, europe when the world was shutting down you were i think just hours before the borders closed you were doing uh, pcw in lancashire so describe that going through all that knowing that not only is everything closing up but you've ca- you've got to get home pretty sharpish what was the temperature
2: see here's here's confliction at its most because uh, i had worked my whole life to get to japan and to get to europe I've always been a fan of World of Sport. I've always been a fan of the WXW. I love the guys that have come out of there. I respect the hell out of that that group. That that's a, like both Germany has always done. You know where they've done the tournaments and stuff, where they would uh, throw money at them at the end of the match and stuff like. Oh man, I just wanted to be. That. When it comes to the history, I'm, I I love the history of pro wrestling, and I want to be where wrestling is. The only place I haven't been yet that probably wouldn't suit my style is Mexico. Although they do have, like uh, you said, Pero, so I can I can probably venture to say I'd be all right. But like all the, the meccas of pro wrestling, I wanna be a part of. So uh, Germany and England, the UK was on the list and I was so blessed to work for both uh, both companies, WXW. I love them. I love being part of the carrot uh, experience, the whole show. Um, Been a part of the actual tournament line, but I did get to do. I'm their ringer for ambition. They've already said like everything I've done on ambition, they've always loved it. So I had a great one with Taylor. They got hired with WWE. Uh, I worked with uh, Yuki on the the super fights, and uh, the only one that I dream about is me versus Thatcher for an ambition style match that would make my my my. Days, right? Um,
0: I see
2: be a uh, be a check mark for sure. But uh that being said, I loved working with Steven uh, Flutter out, out of PCW and uh I just I, we went to Blackpool and we worked at the circus, and like that is such like to people there, that's nothing, but to people like me that are across the sea and have just loved everything about professional wrestling. I, I wanted to, I wanted to be at the circuit that yeah, I had to be there in that center and it was such a great, just a great moment for me. I took a moment when I got out there in the middle of the ring and it was me against uh, a buddy of mine, talented kid named Brent banks. And I just remember just taking a moment, taking that real big deep breath and just enjoying it for a second. I never enjoy anything. I'm always, like I said, focused, but I did take, I did take a moment getting to Germany and getting to the UK and just taking that moment and like, I, I love, I love my life. I love what I do. I love this business and I love, like, I love all of this. And so uh, it was, it was a great, it was a great moment. But then here's the confliction is I have little babies and I have a young wife at home that uh, would love to have me home and not stuck across a whole not, like not just another country, but like a whole continent away. And I, I know, I knew it was getting bad and, uh, Preston, it's, they don't, they just shrug stuff off. I love their culture. It's just like, "Ah, whatever. It's a pandemic. Ah, We're going to the gym. We're going to go drink. Like they do not care. And (laughs) so unfortunately for a while there, I didn't understand the severity of it. I didn't understand the severity of them closing stuff down the the last show, just before I, got uh, Will Cruz, tremendous big man talent. We had a great match, and the next next day, the next thing you know, man, I'm like hustling for a bus and trying to get tickets, and because the whole airport was closed, it was closed, like there was nobody there, like shops were closed and everything. It was it was kind of scary. And I thought they're, if they don't let me on, I don't know, I'm going to have to swim home. I've had moments like that, too, where I was in Newfoundland and there was a huge snowstorm and it was the day before Christmas. So before Boxing Day, the Christmas Eve, Eve I got snowed in and I couldn't get my flight and I just got home for Christmas. Christmas is important to our family. At the end of the day, everything is going to work out the way it's supposed to work out. That's that's. You know what I mean? Like like, a lot of people get real low and then they get, they beat themselves down because when they get low, they start adding to the pile of being low. Like this ain't going right. This ain't going right. Like at the end of the day, things are going to work out. You're going to be all right. You know, I didn't starve to death at 18. I didn't, you know, I didn't get stuck in another country uh, in a pandemic. I, you know what I mean? I, I made it home for Christmas. And it just adds to just a long list of great, great stories. And, Great advantages to um, just having a, a better, better outlook, and just having that. It is what it is kind of mentality. That's an that's an East Coast expression, uh, if there ever was ever was one. Is is what it is, and then that's how we roll.
1: Because it's been a tough time for, for everybody. And what devices, what tools, what things have you done to 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 keep you mentally there?
2: I've been hyper focused on my YouTube channel. I like I've I've started to. I know that I'm at the end of not at the end of my line. I'm not saying like that to be dramatic, but like, I don't have the immense amount of years in this business. I'm not a spring chicken in the business anymore. I'm a, like an older guy. I'm a vet of this business for a lot of years, 25 years is August. I will be at this business for 25 years. That's most majority of the percentage of kids that are in this business aren't 25 and I've done 25 years of it. So their whole lifetime has been me doing it. Um, so with that being said, I, I want to leave a bit of a legacy. I want my sons that are very, very young and their father being quite a bit older, having them older in life. I want them to know uh, just exactly who their, their, their dad was and how, how he like his, his thought process when it came to something that he was very passionate about. And I left it all. I want to leave it on YouTube because now it's eternal. It's always going to be there. Um, and then it's going to be something eventually I'm like, the hope is the big hope is that we can, uh, make money off of it so that the kids always have something you will have something from me month to month as a, uh, uh, both a learning tool for many pros going, going forward, but also, uh, something for them to capitalize on and make a better life. Right. That's basically it. I've been heavy on the YouTube channel. I, I have a gym. I personal train out of my house. I have a shop that has a full functioning gym with like everything in it. I've been blessed to have a a tremendous uh, wife that is in the fitness industry, but also has a great job and is very supportive and of all my whims. And, uh, like just, I do stuff to keep myself out and keep myself, like I said, keep myself humble. Like I, I, like I have a part-time job where I move hot tubs and it's essentially just, uh, When everybody started to get fired, here's the deal. When everybody started to get fired from when WWE comes, uh, people get on on online and then they talk woe is me about these guys. The the woe is me is they've lived a great life and they've been paid an extremely amount, like a handsome sum of money, to do a job that uh, many people want and many people strive for. You shouldn't feel bad for them. They had the opportunity to do great things and they'll have other things come up. So instead of being woe is me, just maybe get a job so that you can relate to the people that work so stupid hard to buy a ticket to watch you. That's, you know what I mean? Take a minute to understand that you're just a human being. You don't, you're not any better than anybody else. It's just you've been blessed with good timing and maybe athleticism and a good look or whatever it is and you have drive and tenacity, but like at the end of the day, people don't live their dreams. Their dreams are through you. So when like I deliver hot tubs part-time and it's been great. I friggin' love it because it's just about getting out of the house and being a normal human being and not having this facade of being Heisen Dukes, the wrestling machine. It's it's about being Tyson Moody, the actual human being that uh, works works for his bread and butter, works to put a roof over his kids' head, and like I and that's, there is no shame in that. There is no shame in being that person. There's no shame in working a nine to five and taking your kids or taking your wife to a wrestling event and spending twenty dollars, forty dollars, whatever the whatever the currency is, and uh, get, having a night out. But don't ever think that the people in the middle of that ring are above you, or like, you know what I mean? That's it's always been my thing, and I've been the hypocrisy of this business uh, like rains so hard that you we got to dial that shit back. Is like, like these guys nowadays wouldn't be wouldn't be in the '80s, would not be here if it wasn't guys in the '80s that they grumble about, or the '90s and stuff like that. So. Just, you know what I mean? It's just, it's all about perspective basically. It's about making perspective.
1: Around about the same time you were heading back to the US, uh, the trailer dropped for Dark Side of the Ring. And in it, you play Chris Benoit. How did that conversation come about?
2: Those guys now in the Dark Side of the Ring, I am on their pilot episode. Those guys uh, found me at a wrestling event in Toronto and they, they, hey, we would like you to be a part of our thing because I had a beard at the time and they wanted me to play the role of Dutch Mantel, So I'm on their pilot episode, the Bruiser Brody pilot episode uh, that did very well. And um, they knew my style, they know my size, they knew my stature, they know my story. They know how much I, I uh, and I move a, a certain way. A few things that I do, I have taken from the inspiration of Benoit so they they said hey do you have any students that could play the role of benoit they all they were doing was goading me because they wanted me to play them but they didn't want to ask me directly because i had a beard and stuff so i and it's one of those roles where you have to shave i said i can play that role that's my role um i would love to play the role of benoit because he's my guy and they're like good because we wanted you to do it we just we just didn't want to ask you uh, outright to do it. So, and that, and that was it. It's simple as that. It was like, when you're in the industry, uh, things come a little bit easier. It's easy in, uh, professional wrestling or any entertainment field to fail upwards or not fail upwards, or just, do you know what I mean? Like you always, you're always going to have a job. You're always going to be able to get work and stuff like that, no matter the climate. Right. So basically the climate was good for me to have the role of Benoit. And uh, I I tweeted out that I was super proud of it and super proud of uh, doing the role and being a part of Dark Side of the Ring and being Benoit. And I took I took a lot of heat online because uh, of his monstrous actions in his last days. But I'm like, it isn't about Benoit that you you see at the end of his life. That's that's not what we're going for here. We're going to tell the whole story and we don't understand why things were the way they were, but we're just to the story. And it's a guy that, when I grew up, inspired me to be a professional wrestler. And I'm always going to give that to him. And even though monstrous things happened in the end, there, it's still the fact that uh, he is and always will be the guy that inspired me to do live out this dream and live out the love of pro wrestling.
1: With yourself then, because he was a guy, as you say, a lot of people looked up to and inspired. And, uh, and when what happened happened, can you remember where you were when you found out?
2: Yes, uh, I was training at the Can-Am wrestling school in Windsor, Ontario for Scott Moore and Impact Wrestling now, right? So Scott's a big, big time player in Impact is, has hustled and grinded his way to a great, great position. Right. But back then we were doing Border City Wrestling and I was his uh, assistant slash head coach. He's the head head and I'm the head coach during the day or like what for the uh, school. And I went into the office and we were just talking. He said, uh, Ty, like it was a serious, surreal moment because we both didn't understand. We didn't know what happened. All we knew is that uh, Daniel, Nancy and Chris were gone. And we had no idea if someone had broken in. We had no idea the the news. We all we knew is uh, even WWE had no idea, right? Because they had that memorial or whatever for them that night. So nobody knew what had happened, um, and so it was it was kind of surreal. It's one of those moments where like, oh man, um, like we don't know what happened. Chris is gone. Um, we like we're waiting on whatever, and it was it was a real real sad moment because benoit had always been like when i worked with uh wwe for velocity and heat from 02 to 04 as an independent uh he was always such a a, such a like a role with me and always took me aside and uh always taught me things and would say stuff and always asked me my opinion on his tights or his pictures and stuff like there was a bond there between uh a guy that uh really he knew it he knew that i was a I, I was inspired by him and he, and he took the time to, you know, uh, talk to me and stuff he's a great guy. And so when this happened, it was just, it's just disgusting. Just this disgusting feeling of not knowing and just knowing that they were gone. It was disgusting. But cause we just got over Eddie and Eddie was gone. And that was another, that was a real blow, man. When Eddie passed, that was that just jarred everybody to their core. Right. So it was, uh, it was not fun. It
1: was not a fun day. A lot of people are unsure on on how to remember Chris
2: Benoit. How do you do it? Uh, just through his body of work. That is that I remember the guy that uh, it's for someone to do something so monstrous and like let's not let's not defend the actions. Let's just say that he, he, monstrous actions uh, uh, from a sick, mentally ill human being. Like let's let's just put it out there. But to get to that point of that kind of illness, there has to be something wrong. And we'll never know. We'll never know. We can we can say that it's steroids, uh, which uh, probably is a combination of both steroids and head injuries, uh, is a cocktail for disaster. And there, there is, you can't tell me that any different. You can't tell me that being upped on steroids and uh, I don't think steroids itself is evil, but I think... Uh, prolonged concussions and having, uh, memory issues and all this and being depressed and stuff like that and having st- like testosterone or steroids. And this stuff is a lethal concoction that does not bode well. does not sit well. Um, but I, 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 like, I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to defend it saying steroids or concussions. Cause we'll never know the real answer, but we know that there was a very sick human being uh, in his end days and he was sick and he was not healthy and he should have, he should have had help and he didn't get it. And the outcome is what the outcome is. But um, let's, let's just call, I don't, I don't look at that. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to take, I'm not into this cancel culture nonsense of this day and age that's disgusting. Uh, they're just as bad as the uh, monsters out there. They're You're trying to ruin people's lives. If you don't ruin them, Um, physically, you're going to try to tear them down in every other way, both financially and mentally. And I don't stand for it. So when I look at Benoit, I take real pride in a Canadian boy that worked extremely hard and had a small stature, but was one of the hardest working human beings on the planet. His legacy shouldn't be forgotten about. His legacy should be, uh, um, out there. I don't think he should be in hall of fame because that brings up all the evil and all the monstrous stuff but the man deserves deserves respect for the body of work. And that is all I look at, is the man that I knew from 02 to 04 and the man that inspired me to be who I am. That's it. Uh,
1: on, a, on a lighter note, uh, you've played Dutch Mantel. You've played Chris Benoit. Um, if you could play another wrestler, maybe not in Dark ring, maybe in something a little bit brighter, um, who would you like to
2: play? Oh... Yeah. You know what? I, I like, I, the roles that I have gotten, I've loved like the two roles are great. Cause I love Dutch. I think Dutch is great. He's humorous and uh, on a different level of insane. And I love him And I uh, like just a tremendous worker, Puerto Rico, just a madman and Benoit being Benoit. And uh, uh, I can't think of anybody outside of uh, only thing I'd want to see. Like I'd want to be uh, there for stories of like Stan Hansen or like just the dusty roads when when men were friggin' cowboys and getting into bar fights and then getting on the road or the horsemen i would love to be Arnie anderson uh, you know what i mean Arn is one of those guys i love Arn to death as a human being i i could sit with Arn all day and just sit quietly and drink coffee he's that kind of guy where you just sit with him and you just seem to absorb knowledge without him saying a goddamn word is just that kind of dude your third and final match uh, we've
1: had flair and steamboat for your first match uh, a belter of a tag match showcasing furnace and lafon in your second what's your third and final match going to be tyson
2: two options here, okay? And I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to give you the fourth one. I might tweet it out later, uh, but uh, and I'll send a link to the match itself because it's great And I, but I don't want to be a cheater. You gave me three, I'm going to give you three. I'm not going to cheat on this, but it would be uh,
0: John Cortez versus Steve Gray from World of Sport. Well, that's one that I would like to see and I'm sure you would go home too and you will because it will be televised when it comes off later on this autumn. Second lady, round one. Six five-minute rounds. Two falls to decide this one, and a special one it is. Not too easily distinguishable unless you can see the feet. The silver boots of John Cortez of... pardon, uh, I mean, well, now I've really muddled you. The silver boots of Steve Gray should help as long as we can see the boots. Otherwise, their trunks are identical. Their hair is almost the same color. It's going to be tricky. I think also they've both been on holiday, so they got the same colored suntan as well. I don't know how we're gonna distinguish them unless we can see the shoes. Unless of course the Reppler fans will know their faces when we can see that close. And an important bout this one for both of them, because as you heard Johnny Saint, the world title holder say at the beginning of the contest, the winner of this will take him on for his world title and belt in the lightweight bracket. On television later this year. So the side headlock to Cortez on the attack at the moment. No way Gray seems to be able to get rid of this double the wrist lever. Back in position now. It's still on. Nice one, but Cortez takes him on a double ignition. But at least he's free. The
2: precision of those two gentlemen and uh, like, God damn, like I got to get aggressive about this people. I have been messaging, like tweeting about John Cortez more and more. And the more I don't see people put John Cortez over the heated, I get just an outstanding talent. And just if you watch John Cortez versus Steve Gray and Steve Gray is super awesome. There's, like I love both of them. But that whole match is just about suffocation. And like, if you are at all claustrophobic and and can relate to being in that uh, that field of like being Steve Gray, you get uncomfortable. It makes your stomach kinda uneasy and unsettling because John Cortez never lets up. He never lets up, he never takes his corners. He's always in the center. And that first breakaway, when you finally see Steve Gray, rounds later, rounds later, finally step over the top of that wrist lock and hit him with a drop kick, is a pinnacle of how pro wrestling should be, of this young man using athleticism and hitting him with a strike, finally getting out of the clutches of uh, just the master of suffocation, which is John Cortez. And I'm a wrestling guy. I love the art of grappling and getting in there and holding on and never letting go. And just like a bulldog on a, like on a neck and never letting go of that grip. But there's something about Cortez that he just never, he's so relentless in that match the whole time that he just won't let go. And it's just, even for me, it's like for the love of God can like, we can, he get some like air, you know what I mean? And it's, You, uh, like, I'm going to tell you right now, anybody that is from the UK, you have, you have wrestled, like, you have had the the cream of the crop when it comes to professional wrestling, and take real pride, like, we take real pride in our hybrid Canadian style that has given us Benoit's and Jericho's and Bret Hart's and Owen Hart's and stuff, but my God, the sweet, sweet science that has come out of the UK, the science of professional, like, you guys have always been on another level the uk has always been on another level when it comes to boxing when it comes to wrestling when it comes to precision and timing and flawless science like education educated and that's the thing that you can take away from world of sport is education at its finest my god like just pers- like like i say precision precision wrestling at all times like sunset flips done the way they should be done every single time at the start of a match, at the end of the match, wrist locks that are done properly and taken correctly. Headlock takeovers done like, Oh God, just fundamentally some of the great, like I still watch it to sharpen my fundamentals. And I'm the king of this country of fundamental wrestling. I am the king of it. And there's not, I can brag about that all day. And I would love to uh, someone to rebuttal and tell me that I'm not because I am because I know the mechanics of wrestling better than anybody in this country. And that is one thing that I can take. Like, the world of sport has got me beat every time. Those guys are tremendous. And you know who put me on that match was Regal. Of course. So uh, I used to have conversations with Regal, and he would tweet it. Of course, of course, because he he wants, he knows himself exactly where he's from, and he takes real pride in the fact that he has got some of the greatest professional wrestling at his fingertips, and it was done by his countrymen, and he has... He is one of those in the long legacy of those guys. He is one of those. He's one of those guys. And so Regal used to put him out. And when I was at PC every night, Regal and me would talk for about 15, 20 minutes uh, because he was one of the guys overseeing it. And then Regal would say, hey, check this out if you got time tonight. And like he would send me home back to my hotel with three matches and I'd be burnt right out from. PC, uh, death, death day one, death day two, but there was no way with, like, I had a torn hamstring. So I would sit on ice every night, uh, at, after PC tryouts, sit on ice in my, uh, hotel room, Ren Banks would go down get me ice. I'd sit on it cause I could barely walk. And then I'd watch these matches that Regal would put out. And one of those matches was Steve Gray. John Cortez. And I watched that match that night and it's 27 minutes long. I watched it three times. I watched it three times. I bent, or burned an hour and a half sitting on ice melting under my ass and just watched this match uh, and just was in awe of it. And I went back the next day and I just I, I was like a kid that just found out about Santa Claus and I just went up to him like this and then this and then this and then this to the point where I, I think I don't think I annoyed him because he saw my enthusiasm and my what what he had caused in me because it was his fault but like it just one of those days where he's like okay yeah i get it yeah i, I sent it to you i know what you're talking about but it was just uh, just one of those moments tom is oh my god just and he would send me home with oh you like that one why don't you try this one but nothing nothing stood out like the cortez gray match and i i'm a huge 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 cortez guy and I could watch him do the same style of stuff because he attacks the head a lot and he grips on, he holds on. Watch it with different opponents a hundred times. It's just he's he's my man.
1: It must have been a cool moment. It must have been a cool moment to uh, have been a part of not only a part of the Cruiserweight Classic, but to be in there with Zach Sabre Jr., who is such a, a practitioner of that style.
2: I wanted Zach to stand out and see this is the journeyman of me. Is I love Zach Saber Jr. and I love that he's got Jim Breaks' style to it. Like he's Jim Breaks, uh, just on another level of Jim Breaks. That's that's Zach, right? Zach is tremendous, and I'm a Cortez guy, and I knew that going into that classic. I knew I knew that once I found out that oh it's me against Zach Saber, I'm like oh you don't have to tell me that I'm losing. I know <laughs> i I know they're gonna put him through, uh, but uh, me and Zach. I, 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 me and him came up with that match and I constructed my end of that match to really emphasize Zach as a world of sport guy. And my, my job, because I'm in 16, 2016, my, I'm actually starting to get it. I've been at this business a long time, but nobody really gets it. You think you get it. You don't got it. You don't understand this business until later on. And so when I got to the point where I got to t- uh, 2016 to work with Zach in the classic, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I wanted to be—I wanted to be the the Canadian hybrid style. I wanted to show that I was fundamentally way better than anybody else. So if a hip toss comes from me or a wrist lock comes from me, it's legitimate and it looks legitimate. And I wanted my stuff to look so super solid, but then I wanted to have that stampede impact approach so i wanted to be uh, a stampede wrestler i wanted to throw a hard clothesline i wanted fisherman busters i wanted to really like grind it out with chops and like get dirty with forearms and stuff i wanted to give that level of canadian style wrestling and that's why like i i like to me if we're in the uk i would totally want to bust that out with them but for a, a nat, like a global level of competition, I wanted Zach to be world of sport and I wanted to be Stampede Wrestling. And that's what I gave them. And I, I'm I, even to this day, I watched that match back and I'm super proud of that match. Like like I first round lost or not, I like they wanted me back and I couldn't make it back because I, I got flagged at the border. But let me tell you like I I did I did secure a spot. I could add a spot. As 205 and gone on to do great things with the company had it not been for issues at the border. But I was, uh, that's what I, I accomplished what I wanted to. I was Stampede and he was World of Sport. And I, that match, it still stands out as one of like my Tyler Black match, my Tommaso match, that match all stand out to me where can people go to find out more about you uh yeah mostly uh, what i'm doing now is all my platforms so my instagram platform my twitter platform uh my youtube platform is all it's all tyson dukes at tyson dukes is d-u-x is uh the the spelling of the last name and what you're going to find on there i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk my opinion i am not going to talk emotional drama i'm not going to put out uh, anything that would be uh, negative or damaging. All I'm going to do on these platforms, if you want to follow, if seek these ones out, is I'm putting out education. I'm I'll just, I'm all I'm doing is educating uh, the next crop of professional wrestlers how to be professional wrestlers and people that love wrestling to see an inside look at what we do. And that's all I'm doing. And like to the kids that want to do all the stuff that they do, go ahead. I am not I am not harping on you in any way, shape or form, but I have hold wrestling to a different kind of level. I have starved to death for this business. So at the end of my day, I want to make sure that people are aware that i am passionate and i will always go with legitimacy i will always go with deceiving crowds i'm always going to be that person and that's what you're going to find on my sites
1: and if you ask him really nicely he might tell you how to win a 30-man three-hour blindfold cage match battle royal
2: well i wish i could but i didn't win it so i just i was just a sucker i was an idiot to do like like over an hour over, <laughs> no god no i did over two and you got paid less than dina hours. what's going on there i was uh i was one of the la- last guys i was like uh number six so dina got that's the that's the stupid joke livid, that's the livid. comedy is dina got paid way more and got to go halfway through it and be out of there and then i had to go to number six the last six guys and then i was out of there <laughs> So paid less, worked harder, got kicked in the face. Disgusting. (laughs) Worst. Don't go to me for advice about money. I've never made money at this business. (laughs) I never made, I just love this, I'm a starving artist. I do not, I am not what you think I am. All these other kids that are making money playing video games and this grumpy old man is drinking coffee, half broke down, just loving the art of pro wrestling. It makes no sense.